Whew, God is good. I tell you, we've been uh, working on this series, and we're going to finish up this series. If you don't have some notes, you should have got them when you came in. They're inside that bulletin that you received. Inside, you'll find some message notes. Uh, if you don't have those, one of the things that you really do need, though, is a Bible, either an electronic Bible, a phone Bible, or a physical Bible. There's Bibles in front of you. There's Bibles under you if you're on the front pew. And you can use your phone, okay? That's okay, too. But we're going to be going to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be finishing this book today. We've been working through this book all summer long, which has been a lot of fun. And I encourage you in different seasons of your life to pick different books of the Bible. If you don't know how to do that, one of the things you can do is you can flip to the back of the Bible. Many times there's descriptions of these books and kind of who the audience was and what the purpose of the original writing was. And when you look at that, sometimes it helps you to go, you know what? That's where I am right now and I need to read that book. You know, I need to study that. I need to look at that. Well, we just felt like this would be a great book to go over for the summer. And so we've been having a lot of fun. When we launched this series, one of the things that we first brought to you was this concept that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter to the book of Ephesus, he was actually talking about love more than any other letter, than any other letter that he's written to the church. Which is kind of interesting because if you fast forward with this particular church and you go to the book of Revelation, you suddenly find that this is the church that the Apostle John says, you've lost your first love. And so it's like, you know, it's pretty cool. Sometimes leaders inside the church can look and they can see the trajectory of where a church is heading. Even back then, you know, this is only within 30 to 60 years after the crucifixion, this church is losing its first love. And they could see it. And Paul saw it. And John saw it. And they wrote about it. And so there's all kinds of cool things in here for you and I as Christians and people that gather inside of God's house to say, what is it that we can take away from that? Just walking through some of the themes that we've hit before we get to this one, we talked about God's election and God's electing love. We did that. We also talked about God's grace, his unmerited favor in this book. We talked about the oneness and the equality in the faith and how he levels all of the roles in the church so that we all have this equal access in ministry. We talked about the transformation that leads to people wanting and desiring to gather together actually as the church. We talked about the expanding role of family just a few weeks ago, which we're going to actually do a whole series on, but we talked about the microcosm of the family, how it affects the culture and vice versa, how the culture affects the family. And then last week we talked about God's formula for change, and we look around us with all the protests and all the uproars, we say, you know what, God's got a different formula for change than what we see happening around us, that movements come and movements go, but God's formula for change is eternal. And we talked about that last week, so this week... We're going to go into the last part of the chapter. Now, if you've been following along, you're like, wait a minute, bro. You skipped a whole section. I did. I skipped putting on the full armor of God because two years ago, we actually taught this one whole series on the full armor of God. And if you want that, I don't know if you guys know Jim. Jim, raise your hand in the back. Jim's one of our deacons. Jim actually has that on CD. So that was even before we were putting things online. And so if you want that series and you'd like to learn about putting on the full armor of God, we've got a whole like six eight-week series just on that particular series, and you can talk to Jim, and he can put that in your hands. Jim's like, he put me on the spot. Hopefully, I can find that. That was two years ago. We'll find it together one way or the other. Jim, we'll work together. But I thought it'd be cool to end the series by going to the end of the book. And when I'm looking at the end of this book, starting in verse 18, chapter 6, so if you're in Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 18. You see this faith-filled farewell from this apostle. And it is awesome to look at. So I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see better and read with you. So read along with me. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may endure it fearlessly as I should. Verse 21. Tychicus, which for years I thought that was Tychicus, just pronounce it however you want. Tychicus, Tychicus, it'd be cool if you'd name your kid that though. Anyway, this dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So it's really cool you come to the end of this book. And there's no doubt that Paul comes back to the theme of love, doesn't he? He's like, I want you to get this. I started at the beginning of this book. I'm going to end it. I've mentioned it more times than any other letter I've ever written to the church. I want you to understand the concept of love. But as he begins, before he gets there, he says, here's one of the things you need to know about this whole idea of really this this fulfilling faith, you know, how to look at this. And the first thing you see is praying in the spirit is different than praying in the flesh. Praying in the spirit versus praying in the flesh is a big deal. That's your first fill in. So what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how do you actually discern what it means to pray in the spirit versus in the flesh? Well, I think the key when you're looking at that is to come back to that verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions. So there's a couple words in there if you want to circle them. Spirit, notice it's capitalized. All occasions, not some occasions. Prayers and requests. So these are some of the words that I pulled out. You could pick different letter, different words. But let me just give you how I see this is different. When you and I pray in the flesh, or what the Bible sometimes calls in a carnal way, what shapes our prayer life? Well, what shapes our prayer life many times is, you know, our desires, our wants, our passions. And those things shape our prayer life. You've probably been that way. I've been that way. I come to God. I'm like, you know, God, here's what I want in my life. Can you please show up and do it? You ever been there? I'm like, when I was a young kid, I'm like, you know what, God? The Lamborghini is the coolest car on the planet. If you're God, I want one. Don't let, you know, you prayed a prayer like that. Who else is with me? I know you did, DT. I knew it. See, so Lamborghini. This is so sad and it's an ADD moment, but I actually went on eBay and to see if like, maybe if I found one that was like 70 years old, I could afford it. I still couldn't afford it. Okay. Cool car. And no, God never showed up with a Lamborghini, no matter how much I prayed. Why? That's one of the differences. So let's look at that versus praying in the spirit. And the spirit means you base your prayer based on God's mission, God's desire, and God's passion. Do you see the difference? One is based on mine. Now, there's at times they intersect. There's no doubt. Sometimes I pray for something, and it's something where God is moving, and they intersect. And sometimes we get confused because we'll go, look, God did what I asked, okay? But he was already going to do it because he was already moving in that direction because he's God. He already knew it was going to happen. That's the whole idea. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. But when you begin to pray in alignment with where he's going, this is what it means to pray in the spirit, in alignment with him. Grace has a great history of prayer. If you want to talk to some of the saints that have been here a long time, they can tell you more about this history. They used to pray and they would pray consistently in different gatherings that they would have. They would have a list of different things to pray for that would help focus their things. And, you know, their different passions and the different things are happening. But one of the things that happened, and Jim's always good about reminding me of this, is there was a specific moment in time where the church said, we're not sure what God wants in our church. So we're going to specifically begin to pray in a deeper way. And we're just going to keep praying and asking until we hear God's voice, until we discern what God wants. But it wasn't based on what they wanted in their church or what they wanted for their church or what style they wanted or what kind of pastor. It was like, we'll do whatever you want, God. Help us to see it. 
This is the kind of prayer that starts to move you into alignment with God's spirit. See, I love William Barclay. He's a great commentator. And in reading his, his views on this, he, he puts it this way. He says, there's three components of this kind of praying. He says, it must be constant. That's the, in all occasions. In other words, this is something that's coming up all the time in your brain. You're like, I, I just got to keep praying for this. I got to keep coming to God with this because it's so important. It must be intense. It must be intense. And what he means by that in the older translations, they don't use with request. The older translation says with supplication. Now, when you hear that, you're like, it's supper time, right? That's what I think when I first saw that word. But supplication means with like this begging heart. Like, I just, I just can't help but get on my knees and beg God for this. For instance, when you think of the people that are right now in Texas that have lost their home, they may have lost family, they're very unsure of what's going to happen next, their church may even have been wiped out. Supplication is where you're like, so moved emotionally that you will get on your knees and you will pray for them every day. That your heart is burdened and you can't help but pray. That's this kind of intensity that Barclay's talking about. This is the Bible word supplication. This is when the Spirit of God is so inside of you that you can't help but pray for this. Last week I asked you to write down an area that ticks you off about our world, right? And we prayed over those. You should pray over those as well. That's supplication that you would be so bent to change that and to see change in that area. That's this type of prayer in the Spirit. And the third thing he says is it must be unselfish. I love Barclay's comment on this. In fact, he researches an old Jewish rabbi that was about the time of Jesus. And there was an actual saying that went around the Jewish culture. If you didn't know that, Jesus was Jewish. But it was this Jewish culture. And they were hanging out and they had different sayings that would help shape their spiritual life as well. And this was one of the sayings at the time of Jesus that was in the Jewish culture. They would say, let a man unite himself with the community in his prayers. And that's the kind of prayer life that you and I need, that our prayer life will be driven and deeply enriched by what we want to see happen, not necessarily in this gathering, but outside these four walls. That's this type, and that's what it means to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And that's why we gave you that link. And so I'm going to give it to you again. If you feel led, if you feel motivated that God is telling you that you want to give to that, give to that. You know, here's the reality. We don't get a dime from it, just in case you're curious. Every dime goes to an actual church on the ground, on the ground. And it's 100%, in case you were curious, tax deductible. But don't give if God doesn't tell you to give. God will not honor giving when you feel like someone's coercing you to do something. He honors it based on the richness of your heart when you feel this deep supplication in prayer life that you want to make a difference. The second thing when you look at what's happening in this particular passage, when you look at this concept of a faith-filled farewell that Paul's given us, is the gospel, a gospel-centered prayer drives out fear. A gospel-centered prayer drives out fear. So a lot of times when you and I come to God and we come with our petition, when we come with our prayer life, and we keep repeating the prayer that's on us, you know, God loves that, by the way, because he knows that. He already knows what's bothering you before you get there. But we continue to pray that, and we just keep beating God up with our prayer and our desire. We don't always understand that if I can take that prayer and I can center it on the gospel, it'll drive out the fear that's behind my prayer life. Let me show you what I mean. Let me show you what I mean. He says, pray also for me. In verse 19, that wherever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Now, you and I, let's be honest. If I'm locked up, okay, let's say tomorrow I get locked up. I'm calling Bud, by the way, because he's the only retired police officer we got. I'm like, Bud, I have no idea what to do. I've never been locked up before. Help me out. Down here in Del Mar, I'm in the lockup, and, and no, I didn't kill anybody, okay? But I'm here. 
And I said, have the church pray. What do you think my first inclination is gonna be for prayer? Get me out, okay? Okay, but get me out. That's natural. I'm feeling that. I don't wanna be here. I didn't do anything. Maybe I'm unjustly imprisoned. Paul's unjustly imprisoned. He's appealed to Caesar, you know? And he's gonna present this good news and he's, he's scared. This is something he's never done before. He's one before the free leader of the world and he's gonna present the gospel. It's, it's freaking him out a little bit, right? And he's saying, pray for me. I love this title, ambassador in bonds, ambassador in chains. It's a peculiar title. We won't see it anywhere else in, in what Paul's talking about. It's very unique. And what we know about Paul is that he was chained to a Roman soldier. What you may not know is that it was, the Roman soldier was changed every six hours. So every six hours, a new Roman soldier got chained to Paul. Now, I don't know about Paul. If you've been around me, going to lunch with me, my wife will tell you, but Paul's probably even more in than I am. Anybody gets chained to me, I want him to hear the gospel. I'm going to hear the good news. Can you imagine the poor sap that pulled duty to be chained to Paul? He gets chained to Paul, and Paul's like, pray for me, because I want to give this guy the good news of who Jesus is, even though he's the one that's got me locked up. Do you see how his prayer life is so different? Why is he not praying to get out? He's praying that, that this would actually be used by God. So think of some of the hard things that you go through in your journey. Cancer, divorce, you know, pain of any kind that you've been through. A child that you're working with that maybe has learning disabilities or a health issue. And it's okay to come to God because God knows your heart and say, please beg. I'm begging for a healing. I'm begging for a change. But also in your prayer life, do you pray this way? But no matter what happens, glorify Christ. Make his name famous. If my death can bring your name fame, I'm okay with that. That's a different kind of prayer. And that's a prayer that's in the heart of this gospel. Paul said, even if it costs me everything, I'm willing to go there because it drives out fear. When you get to this place, the world cannot take anything from you because Christ has given everything to you. Do you see that? No matter what, even your own life, you don't have to shrink from death because you know where you're headed. You know where you're going. And you know that even death has no sting. It's just a doorway to step through to the other side. This is praying in the spirit. And we don't know how to do this. We've lost touch with this. Many times in the church, we pray for what we want, but not where God's headed. The third thing is, discipleship should lead to encourage disciples. Discipleship should lead to encourage disciples. Many times when we see people being discipled in the church, you know, we don't see encouraging disciples, do we? You see some, uh, just, just call it the way it is, right? Sometimes you meet some people and they know a lot of Bible, but they don't live a lot of Bible. You know what I'm talking about? It's all in here, but somehow it didn't leak down the 18 inches it needed to to get to here, right? And so they know the Bible, but they don't live the Bible. And I've seen this over and over again. And here's how you will see this. And this guy, Tychicus, this guy was cool. Think about this. I'm locked up. He's going to come visit you, and you're going to be encouraged when he comes. What kind of guy is this, right? This is Paul's disciple. And one of the things I guarantee that was happening in this guy's life is that his life was not bent on judging people, but encouraging people. So instead of saying where you're not, he would begin with where you are. And say, if you're here, let's take one more step closer to Christ in your relationship. Let's take one more step this way. And that's different, isn't it? You've met people that their favorite thing to do is to tell you what you do wrong, right? 
Don't you love being around those people? I love those people, right? Larry, let me tell you, everything you did wrong, thanks a lot, right? I feel so encouraged, right? But then you meet those other people that say, let me tell you the cool things I see God do in your life, and they focus there first. You can't wait to be around those people. They're encouraging. They lift you up. They draw you into a deeper relationship with Christ, don't they? What do the people do that judge you? Daggone, I need another church. I need another place to gather. You know what? I'm not even, I've met people this way. I'm not even sure I want to ever go again. Why? Because they weren't correctly discipled. Correct? When t- disciples are discipled right, they get this heart. It's deep inside of them. Here's another caution inside of this for all of us. You have to be careful that you don't get a complex where you compare everything to a previous movement in your life. Let me, let me explain that. I meet people all the time that have gone to a different church or been a part of a different movement. It's okay. There's cool things you probably had happen there. And then what they do is every gathering they go to in church, they compare to the previous gathering. That's a bad thing. What we should do every time we gather together, whether it's here or at a different gathering, a different church, is we should be saying, where's Jesus in the midst of this place? That's what we should be looking for. Because when you find Jesus in the midst of somewhere, you can start there and people can be encouraged and you can see the movement of God come forward. It's pretty cool. In my own life, I'm doing this all the time because I'm not perfect. I recently took a class. Uh, Bud was watching the situational leadership. And I'm just like, you know, I just want to be a better leader so I can encourage our people to be better disciples. Why? Because it's worth it to see the church change to be the place where people are encouraged again. The fourth thing is you see this. You see peace, grace, and love are found in faith, not our circumstances. Peace and grace and love, which he talks about in this passage, are based on our faith and not our circumstances. This is the only place in all of Paul's letters that he uses this specific term. He says, peace to you, brothers. It's just interesting. It rolls off the tongue with him. And love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love, an eternal love is what he's talking about. Love comes full circle in this passage. This unique phrase is something that's inside the heart of Paul, that he wants you and I to get, you and I to understand. And he knows that it's connected to the gospel, not to religion. Isn't that cool? I love that. Because here's the reality. You and I are always wanting to know, what do I have to do to appease God? What am I having to do to make God happy? You know, we start on this idea that God's angry with us. I don't know if anyone's told you this, but God is not mad with you. He's not angry with you. He's angry with sin. We don't like that word in our world anymore either, but here's the reality. Sin is what separates us from one another, and it separates us from God. And it's when we live out of alignment with the way God has designed the world to work. And when we look at this and we understand that peace and grace and love come through this faith in Christ, we're set free of that stuff. Because guess what? You can't do anything to make God happy. Jesus has already done it. You know, when he lived 33 and a half years, you know, for 33 and a half years on this planet, he lived a perfect life that you and I can't live. He never sinned in thought. He never sinned in deed. And yet, though he never sinned, he became the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. We deserve the penalty for sin. We deserve it. Even if we only have like 5% sin in our life, we deserve it still because it's a big gap between us and God. But he paid for that. And when he paid for that, he said, hey, I've made a way completely accessible to the Father if you'll just apply faith. When you put your hope and your trust in what he did, not on what I do, not on what the church does, but solely on what Christ has done. And that's full circle. And the church had lost this message in Ephesus. They'd made it about other stuff. 
And that's why they were lacking peace. That's why they were lacking the grace of Christ. And that's why they were lacking love. Because they had lost their faith. They'd lost their first love. It's pretty cool. So what I want to do is I want to present that to you in case you've never done that. The good news, the gospel, in case you need to re-respond to renew your faith or start your faith journey. It's very simple, by the way. I love it this way. Just think of it as G-O-S-P-E-L, right? The gospel. God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. Isn't that cool? God, our sins. It's our sins, but God's dealing with our sins. We aren't, and he's gonna pay everyone life who puts their hope and their faith in Christ alone. And you do that by just committing your life to him by praying to admit that all of us are messed up and we are believing solely in what Christ has done for us to pay for our sins and committing our life to him. That's all we do. So I'll give you the last thought a second, but before I do, I want to pray with you because if you've never done that, this is your moment and and you'll know because here's what happens. You'll hear this still small voice And he'll be drawing you and saying, you need to do this. You need to get right with me. You need to put your life in alignment with where I am. And for some of you, you're like, I need to renew that faith. And I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I'm not going to make you do anything goofy. I'm just going to ask you to pray right where you are, right in your seat, so that you can begin or renew this relationship with Jesus. Because it's the most important thing you'll ever do. Because it's going to bring peace, and it's going to bring hope, and it's going to bring joy that the world can't bring. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and for no one else to see, to give God a moment in time where he is the only focus. And as you focus on the Father based on what his son has done for you, that he's uniquely died for you and paid for your sin, just pray to him in your heart like this. Dear God, I admit I fall short sometimes really short and I've done things to hurt people hurt my family and even hurt your heart I'm sorry and I put my belief and I put my hope in Christ in what he's done for me that he paid for my sin that he dealt with it when he died a criminal's death. Thank you for loving me that much. I commit my life to you and I give you all of me in return for all of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. A prayer does not save someone Baptism does not save someone. A heart of faith and belief in Christ alone is what saves them. The prayer is an outward expression, just like baptism is the outward expression. But the cool thing is, is it's a moment of transference of God's grace into our life. So here's a last thought as you consider these things. Love by praying, presenting, preparing, and resting in Christ's plan. Not in this plan, not in the church's plan, but in Christ's plan alone. Love by praying consistently in the spirit. Presenting yourself to God to be used however God wants to use you. And preparing your life by going deeper in this relationship with him. And in doing that, you're going to be resting 
completely in the plan of Jesus. And that's a cool place to be.